This is Tom. It's Van Life. Tom Green's Van Life. Cool. New name for the, the podcast. And uh, why do we have a new name? Well, because I'm in a van. Of course, I've been in a van for the last little while. Uh, but I was thinking, you know, hey, if I'm in a van and I'm doing the podcast and I'm traveling around the country in a van, maybe we should mention that in the title. Uh, so we've changed the name of the show. And I actually am... Going to be doing a little bit of a a different type of thing here now. Uh, Want to start talking a little bit more about what it's like living in a van, what it's like traveling the country during uh, the pandemic and exploring national parks and and beautiful deserts and wilderness areas and mountains uh, by yourself with your dog. Uh, I'll be, of course, uh, continuing to have some great interviews like today on the show. We've got a great interview today that was actually recorded a a couple of weeks ago with uh, the incredible John Kastner from uh, the punk rock legendary bands like uh, the Asexuals, the Doughboys, uh, and more. All systems go and more and more and more. But uh, it's super cool uh, to be talking to John. John is a friend of mine, and um, we've gotten to know each other really well over the last few years. And uh, he is also somebody that loves camping. He loves getting outdoors uh, with his family. And uh, he's uh, uh, really uh, uh, got a lot of great stories to tell about traveling in vans because uh, he, of course, has been traveling and touring uh, since a teenager a young teenager in a van in his punk rock band, The Asexual. So he knows a little bit about about van life. Uh, but before uh, I bring John on and, and, uh, and talk to John, and we uh, have that great interview, I want to just tell you a little bit about what I'm doing. Right now I'm in the Cabiza Prieta wilderness area. I'm looking out the door right now at an at empty desert. There's probably nobody around for at least... I don't know, 10, 15 miles from here. I've driven way out into the middle of nowhere. And if you listen closely, you're actually, you can't really hear it right now, but we may get lucky and hear an A-10 uh, warthog fly over because we're right here on the edge of the uh, Barry F. Goldwater uh, Air Force artillery 
and military bombing range. Uh, and they've been flying over throughout the last week while I've been out here, uh, dropping bombs and firing their cannons. <laughs> the cannon sounds like, <laughs> that's what it sounds like. Uh, and it's amazing. And you hear it over in the other valley. They're not actually out there right now, so I don't know if we're going to hear them, but uh, take my word for it and Google it. Barry F. Goldwater uh, test range. In fact, I had to assign uh, an online waiver with the U.S. military just to come here uh, because uh, there is unexploded ordinance that uh, may be out in the desert uh, due to years of dropping bombs. Uh, on the desert here until uh, I believe sometime around 1973 when they took this large section of the bombing range and turned it into a wilderness area, which is uh, home to the pronghorn sheep and it is home to mountain lion and bobcat and a rare species of bat and all sorts of incredible cactuses. In fact, uh, we're in one of the largest uh, Seguro cactus uh, forests in the world uh, here in this part of Arizona, right along the Mexican border. Actually, when you drive in to Cabeza Prieta, there is some very foreboding signs that you pass. Uh, they say, caution, uh, this area is uh, known for illegal drug smuggling and illegal immigration activity. Please proceed with caution and do not travel alone. And so, of course, I, I, I'm taking that very seriously and I'm traveling with my dog, Charlie. So hopefully uh, that's OK. But everyone knows I'm here. I've been here for about a week and uh, I'm probably going to pick up and, uh, and move on to the next location tomorrow. If you've been following along with Van Life on YouTube, uh, thank you. If you haven't, go subscribe to my YouTube channel because that's sort of going to be the visual component to this podcast. Go to uh, TomGreen.com slash or YouTube.com slash TomGreen, rather, uh, which is my YouTube channel. Or you can just go to my website, TomGreen.com and click on the videos there and that will bring you to the YouTube channel. Hit subscribe. It's totally free. I'm traveling with... Uh, a pretty robust uh, camera and audio and uh, video rig that I'm uh, putting my broadcasting uh, college uh, diploma to use and all the all the video that I've done over the years. This last year, I've really been investing a lot of my time and energy into really perfecting uh, my craft as a cinematographer and also as a uh, recording artist uh, and, and, and engineer, I have a Pro Tools set up in, my st in the studio here in the van, and uh, I'm recording some country songs and some rap songs and some fun stuff, some of which I've played here on this podcast. Got a new song that I'll be, that I'll be uh, debuting soon, uh, but today uh, we're going to uh, not listen to my uh, goofy music. Instead, we're going to kick off the show listening to uh, some music by uh, John Kastner, and uh, then we'll have a great interview with him. But before, before we do that, I just want to say a little bit more about how this is going, okay? I've got this great van. It's so cool. It, the van is state-of-the-art. I got it from this company, Boho Vans. Just check them out online. And they helped me set this thing up. It has a battery system, 
uh, with these cool battle-borne batteries, they're called, and they're in all the vans and all the sailboats, but they're, they've really come up with some new technology that allows the solar panels on the roof to charge the batteries and give me essentially constant power so I can run this recording studio in the middle of nowhere. Like, we're totally off-grid, and it's amazing. And every night, I take a walk with Charlie way out into the desert, all alone, with my camera, and I am just getting all of these beautiful images. And I have to say, it's been an incredible and unique experience, something that I would have never done had we not found ourselves in the midst of a global pandemic. In the last decade or so, as you know, I've been touring the world doing stand-up, and I haven't had time to fuck off in a van and travel around and I feel very fortunate uh, that right now uh, I am uh, lucky enough to do this and I could see myself uh, doing this permanently and I actually am going to be doing this permanently after uh, after this pandemic winds down hopefully that that happens in the near future a plan to take this podcast van life podcast on the road uh, going into next the rest of this year and the year after and taking the van on my stand-up comedy tour. So just know that this whole adventure is not a fly-by-night thing that's uh, going to be given up upon as soon as things return to normal. This is, this is going to be a fun new adventure that we're going to be able to share together here with Audio Up, who is supporting this podcast and, uh, and uh, producing this podcast with me. And I I thank everybody at Audio Up for being so cool uh, and uh, listen to their other podcasts. They've got a lot of other great podcasts as well. So um, that's what's going on. But I, I just I wanted I want to try to just kind of uh, sort of just dive into this moment for a second and let you just know how it feels to be out here. OK, all alone, sometimes at night. All alone out here, I'll find myself in a desert area in the middle of nowhere, a place that I've found on the internet, somewhere I've never been, and I'll pull into this camping area all alone, no one for miles, just the sound of the wind and the desert and the birds, and uh, as the sun starts to go down, I'll tell you, it's a bit scary Sometimes, actually, um, you know, I, I love it, but I tell you, it really is a unique thing to be out here all alone uh, in nature. And I grew up doing this. I grew not not in a van, but I, I, I did. I did. I did travel Canada in a van in the early years of the Tom Green show. So van life's not a new thing for me. Uh, back in the 90s, the early 90s, traveled all over Canada in a Ford Econoline van. Uh, and uh, much like a band would go on tour, like we'll talk about with John today, uh, my friends and I, we took off in this van and went and filmed videos. And here we are, we've gone full circle and I'm doing it again. But there's there's something different about this this because here I am all alone and exploring the southwestern United States right now where it's warm. And that's why I'm here in Cabeza Prieta you know, huddled up to the Mexican border of Arizona because it's warm here. Um, you know, the last few weeks I was in New Mexico, 
actually when I recorded the the John Castner interview, I was still in New Mexico, the one that we're going to cut to in a moment, but uh, it was just a couple weeks ago. And it was freezing up there. I would wake up in the morning and the water in Charlie's dog bowl, which I left outside, would be frozen, solid, ice. And I said, you know what? I think I got to drive south now. I think I have to head south. So that's the thing about van life. You got to follow the weather. And uh, that's what I'm doing. And as this series, series progresses, uh, not only will I continue to have great artists and musicians and actors and comedians and celebrities on the show and people who have uh, the interest in van life and outdoors, but I'm also going to start having lots of uh, people who are just really immersed in this world of van lifers and Instagrammers and uh, outdoorsmen and fishermen and hunters and people that have, have really spent a, a great deal of their life outdoors. And I want to talk about all that we have in this country that we can forget about, really, if we're not really focused on thinking about it, we can forget about the fact that we are always just a couple of hours drive away from some of the most beautiful natural settings in the world. And we're very lucky here in North America, in America, uh, to go see some of this stuff. And of course, my home and native land, Canada, where after this, uh, after this uh, winter uh, ends, I'm going to be driving my van, this studio, up through Canada and taking you all on some amazing adventures up there. So please subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to, uh, to uh, my YouTube channel and follow me on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and uh, interact with me. Let me know that you're listening to this show and please tell your friends to listen as well. So that's this morning's uh, introduction and uh, or today's introduction, you know, you, you can watch this it happens to be morning now, but you can obviously listen to this at any time of day because it's a podcast. Hello. So um, thank you. I love you all. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you supporting uh, this podcast. Tom Green's Van Life. Let everyone know. And uh, let's listen to some music by John Kastner. And then we'll be back with John.
Hello, John. Hey. How are you How's doing? How's it going, Tom? I'm doing good. I'm good. I'm, I'm alive. I'm still alive nice. out here. <laughs> How is it? Uh, where are you? In New Mexico? Yes. Thank you for checking in on me. I appreciate it. It's yeah. uh, of course making sure you didn't get eaten by a bear. You've been watching all the videos. Of course. We talk. And Bluesy watch them every day. Yeah, Bluesy, uh, your son Bluesy is my new biggest fan, watching and devouring all the yeah. early episodes of the Tom Green Show. Yeah, your new son. What's we that? We talk every day. What's that like Checking when you're... You. How old is Bluesy now, exactly? How old is Bluesy now? He's five. Five years old, yeah. And when, you, when, yeah. when a five-year-old is watching the Tom Green Show... What mm-hmm. what does that do to his to his brain? Well, it makes him laugh uncontrollably. I mean, you know, sometimes when you have to try and explain, let's say, the slutmobile. Yeah, well, let's, you let's... have to take some. You have to you have to take some uh, <laughs> some liberties and maybe <laughs> trim it down a bit. You didn't you didn't you didn't let him watch that one, did you? <laughs> of course. Oh, one of the first ones we watched. Oh, okay. Wow. Geez. Uh... Yeah, but we just said uh, that you had painted a naked lady on the side of of your dad's car. Right. Well, that's exactly what what we did. Right. That's exactly so what is. we did. Yes. Thanks so much kind for of, calling, well, John. Well, I, pre- I appreciate you well, calling. Two naked ladies. Yeah, two naked yeah. ladies. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, and, and I, appreciate, I appreciate you checking in on me, uh, you know, over the last few months as I'm traveling around because you, you and I often have some late night conversations. I mean, I'm here in ne- New Mexico now, not too far from a, a town called uh, Aztec, New Mexico, and I've been traveling mm-hmm. around the uh, entire state, actually, going to ghost towns and... Uh, beautiful Native uh, American ruins, the Chaco Canyon ruins and all of this. But it's nice. Sometimes I'll be alone in the van with Charlie. I'll crack open a beer. Uh, maybe I'll have a shot of whiskey. And uh, and it's nice to hear uh, hear from you. But now we're actually recording. Yeah. We're recording the conversation now. I know. How about that? I want to. We're listening in on our personal conversations. Yeah. What was the song that we opened the show with? Kickback. Kickback. Tell me the history of that song. First of all, I've already introduced you to everybody. It's uh, yeah. it's, it's exciting to have you here because do you do a lot of interviews these days? Have you been doing a lot of interviews? No. Yeah. No, I kind of I kind of stopped doing. Uh, press or any kind of stuff like that because as you know i stopped uh, making rock and roll records and started managing other people that make rock and roll records so what? there's not you know it's like i don't need to be talking about myself yeah. um but uh but you know every once in a while i did do one um maybe a year ago i did a podcast that people were excited about i got lots of people asking me questions about things i had talked about but um you know, I try and keep it about the people I work for and not about myself at this point in my life. Although, I have to say, I've uh, kind of started to get the bug to start making some rock music again. So, me and Sean Friesen, uh, the guitar player from the Asexuals, have started writing some songs. Wow. And are, uh, we'll see what happens. Are you we, know, maybe we'll make another Asexuals record for the first time since the 80s. Am I breaking news <laughs> here? Are we breaking news on my podcast right now? <laughs> 
I guess we are. Yeah. Wow. This is amazing. Yeah. So uh, just to, just for our, uh, our our viewers who may not be familiar with EA Sexuals, you were a, a young lad when you started uh, this punk rock band up in Montreal back in the eighties. How old were you? Fifteen years yeah. old when you started that? Younger? Yeah. 14, 15, you know, we started going on tour when we were 16. Um, We were high school kids still, and, you know, we would, um, you know, take a few weeks off and get in the van and drive south to the States and play rock music, mostly in VFW halls to kids with green mohawks. So Um, it was really a good time. If you're 15, did someone in the band have their driver's license, or how did you... I guess we were 16. It yeah. was we did have a, an older friend of ours too, Randy Boyd, who was a bit older that would drive. But I guess we were 16 because our, we all had driver's licenses, but just freshly new Canadian driver's licenses. Mm-hmm. And back then, Canadian driver's license. Remember, we didn't have a picture on it. It was just a flimsy piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> remember that? Oh my gosh! Yeah, you could you could get away with anything back there in the 80s, right? Remember? I know it was like we had. We had a flimsy piece of paper for a driver's license, and then we had a Medicare card, mm-hmm. which was just another brown card with a sunrise on it, but no pictures or anything back then. Right, right. Yeah, you used to use your health card to get into bars. I remember that. You'd have yeah. like mo- yeah. So, but so you're 16 years old and you're you're touring, and I mean, were your parents okay with that? You know, I think that they realized pretty early on that like. You know, this is what this kid's going to do, and we can either fight him on it or we can support him on it. And they just chose to support me on it. So, uh, you know, they let us go. Um, We started touring, I guess we were in grade 10, grade 11, and then right, you know, in high school ends in Canada at grade 11, right? Mm -hmm. And then we go to CJEP. Yeah. So um, instead of going to CJEP, I got in the van and went on tour and basically didn't come home until I was in my 40s. That's of course a so you see Jep of course is a Quebec thing though, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh is it a Quebec thing? It's a yeah. Quebec thing, yeah. Montreal. Yeah. You're from Montreal, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Is is from Montreal, Canada, yeah. 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 So just down the road from where you're from. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we used to I used to go down to Montreal all the time just to we used to go to the Peel pub. Yeah. To say they'd the serve pub, they'd, they'd serve beer to, beer un, or, to us. Yeah. Or try and sneak into the the, peel, the peeler pubs, mm, which mm-hmm. is very very popular in Montreal. Montreal is, is um, well known for that as well. Yeah, yeah, it was never really my thing, you know. Like, I, like I remember seeing places where um, come have free roast beef and watch Naked Lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm, yummy. Um, mm, so yeah. so okay. So I mean. There's so much to talk about. Uh, first of all, I mean, I, I love the fact that because, you know, when I was a, you know, I, I, I my band never had the success that your band had. But we, when I when I was a teenager, we we had a record deal. I was 16 years old. We were trying to make music and it was exciting. And my parents let our parents let us go down to New York to record. But we never went on a full on tour. I mean, what's that like being on tour with a punk rock band when you're 16 years old in the United States? I mean, what cities did you go to? Was it just I mean, obviously, in the 80s, the punk rock scene was completely insane, right? It was a you're playing punk clubs. Everyone's going nuts. People have mohawks. They're wearing 22 hole Doc Martin boots. You're afraid. People are scary. When you look at them, they're scary. 
<laughs> well, we weren't really that scared, you know, yeah. quite honestly. Yeah. And we were just super excited. I mean, we would usually start our tours um, in a little place called the Anthrax mm-hmm. in Connecticut. It's a very famous punk club. I'm sure people that are listening to this will be like, oh, God damn it, the Anthrax. Nice. And it was like in a, the original Anthrax was in a basement. And I remember playing there once with DOA, and the guys from DOA were so tall, they had to, like, crunch down to actually play. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. we would always go from there, and we would do those um, hardcore matinees at CBGB's. And, you know, we did that lots of times. Um, wow. You know, That's... I do remember the first time we ever we went there, we, uh, we, were play- we were playing at CBGB's, and we walked in, and first person we saw was Hilly, which is the guy who owned the place. Yeah. And, uh, He'd heard about us from from uh, Johnny Stiff, which was like a New York guy that helped a lot of punk bands. And you know, Hilly kind of said, you know, you look, you can tell we were nervous. We we're playing CBGBs. We we're young. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, he said to us, just whatever you do, watch your gear, watch your gear. And <laughs> like, okay, that's making us feel much better. Right. So we got up, we played, and it was like it was a hardcore matinee. So they were always full. It was like like Adrenaline OD and 76% Uncertain and all those bands. And I remember there was this guy at the side of the stage, just like tough looking skinhead. And all, all of us were like, that's the dude that's going to rip us off. Like that's <laughs> the dude that's going to rip us off. Yeah. And then we finished playing. And as soon as we finished playing, we were like nervously gathering up our gear. And I see the, the skinhead guys coming right towards me. And he, he puts out his hand and, he's, and he goes, Hi, my name is Vinny from Agnostic Front. You want some help loading your gear? Oh, nice. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> you, you were probably... we took our gear. Yeah. yeah. You were probably big fans we, we of theirs. We took our gear. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, you know, it was, it was the time, you know. And so we took our gear and we put it all in one of those back dark CBGB dressing rooms. And we were all in the back sitting on our gear, sweating, like thinking, wow, it's so cool. We uh, we just played CBGBs. It's so fucking awesome. And this dude pops his head in and he says, dangerous drugs of various kinds. <laughs> That's all he says to us. <laughs> <laughs> so being, you know, the dumb 16-year-old kids we were, we ended up buying acid off of them that were on sugar cubes. Nice, okay. And uh, yeah. I remember he... Uh, we were six, and he only had five, so he said, well, let me go make another one, <laughs> which should have been a sign. <laughs> was there, was there a, a, a sort of a, did a coin toss to see who got the fresh one? I don't know. Is it, is it better no. when it's is, – is acid better when it's know. fresh? I don't know. I've, I've I never done, I've never done acid, so. actually. Can you believe that, John? I've never done acid? Yeah. That is, is it, crazy. What is, a lot of acid growing up in Montreal. What is the feeling yeah. that you get when you do acid? Uh, at CBGB's. Mm, well, I think that, you know, doing acid now as an adult would be very difficult because mm-hmm. I think all the stuff that you worry about would just come burning back into your head and it'd probably wreck your trip. But back then you didn't have a lot of worries. Right. So, you know, it was just more like trying to not freak out. And, you know, you'd usually laugh so hard that your jaw hurt the next day. And then after about six or eight hours, your stomach would start to hurt from, I guess, some strychnine or something they would put in it. Okay. But, okay. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Do I'm they glad even... both my parents have passed on, just in case you would have listened to this. <laughs> right. Maybe we shouldn't have let them go on tour, is what, they, what they'd be saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, must have been very, yeah, yeah. they must have been very proud of your success. Well, it took a, it took a lot of years. You know, it wasn't until... Um, until the Doughboys started to get 
popular and kids would camp out in front of my parents' house. And then they started to realize, oh, something's going on here, you know. The, the Doughboys. come by and weave stuff for us to, to sign. Yeah. And they knew. The Doughboys yeah. was massive, right? Was that the biggest thing? You've been in several bands. You've been, you've been in several of. bands, but that was the... I remember that, that you know, when I... I, I must... I don't. I don't know how old you were when you were in the Doughboys, but I was in high school, and we used to. You know, your music was big for for yeah. us because we were skateboarders, and uh, and and it was it was amazing. Was yeah, we was had that a thing. Was, we was, had a thing? You know, I mean, like from you know, I started the Doughboys right after we. I had had a fight with the asexuals guys, so it was 1987, um, and uh, and you know, then the Doughboys went until about. Um, 96, I think, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then after that I had all systems go with the guys from Big Jewel Car. After the Doughboys, I basically, I moved to Los Angeles and started a band called All Systems Go with Big Jewel Car, Mark and Frank, who were my good friends and, and a band that I loved. And, uh, and, you know, we made a few laps around the world with that band before I hung up my docks and said, you know. I've got two children. Maybe it's a better idea to stay home a bit more now. Hung up my docks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. what's that feeling like when your record's, you know, blowing up the charts and everybody's talking about the Doughboys? And, I mean, I mean, is that just well, sort of the... it was a funny time back then, you know, because cause we had MTV and much music. And so it was a whole thing when you started to do popular, when you started to be popular, like you were recognizable because they played the hell out of your videos. Mm-hmm. So that's, that was a real change, you know I mean? But in the, you know, it's asexuals and like hardcore punk days. And then for the first few years of the Doughboys, there was never really a chance that we were going to ever be on TV or we were ever going to get popular or sell records. And then, um, it all kind of came around to us. And then, you know, we all, we used to tour Europe with the Doughboys, and there was a, an agency called Paperclip, and they had like 15 bands, and we all used to tour together. But those 15 bands were kind of changed music. It was, you know, the Lemonheads, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Soul Asylum. It was all the bands that went on and signed record deals and went on to sell lots of records. And we were like the Canadian version of that in there. So, you know, we had been touring Europe with all of those bands for a long time, and then one by one, everybody started to sign big record deals and started to sell lots of records. And, you know, we kind of rode that same wave with all of those guys, you know? Um, and it was, it was great. It was, it was kind of unbelievable because like I say, we never ever thought that we were going to have a chance to ever be signed to a major label and let alone sell records and be on TV. And then it all just kind of happened, you know? Yeah. So it was fun. Yeah. It was, it was a good time, you know? What what are some of the bands that you loved that inspired you to make music when you were a kid? Because I know you were a huge fan of music at a very young age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was. You know, um, I mean, it was kind of. I remember the earliest memories I really have was like Casey and the Sunshine Band stuff like that. But then I discovered Kiss really early, like Mm -hmm. like age nine or ten. And then Kiss kind of changed everything. And I mean, there is a whole generation of guys my age that all are kind of from the Kiss generation, you know. And it, it was then it was Kiss and Aerosmith and Rush 
and Cheap Trick. And, you know, I used to go to every show at the Forum, every single one. It didn't even matter. And now I look back at some of those and I'm like, I can't believe I went, I, you know, like I saw Frank Zappa in Joe's Garage. I wasn't really into Frank Zappa, but it was a show that was coming, you know, to say it. And I went and now I look back and I'm like, that's pretty fucking cool. I saw that, you know. So when or punk- like Gary yeah. Newman's Cars. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I love that song. It's in Freddie Got Fingered. Cars. Love that song. <laughs> when, when, you, when you first heard punk rock, though. Like, what was the first mm-hmm. punk song? Was it the Sex Pistols or was it? Uh, yeah, in fact, it was. So I had an older guy that lived across the street from me. His name was Chris Rollard. I don't know whatever happened to him. Um, and he had some friends. Uh, they we call they were they they were born in '62, so we used to call them the '62ers. <laughs> we were all born in '66, mm-hmm. and the '62ers were a little older than us. I'm and, I'm, so I'm Chris Rollard. I'm yep. seventy. I'm seventy-one. I don't want to rub it in, but uh. you're a seventy-one, right? <laughs> Thanks, Tom. <laughs> but so the the sixty-twoers used to jam across the street at Chris Rollard's, and they had kind of started to listen to punk rock. And and funny enough, it was Scott McCullough who was the first guitar player in the Doughboys that went on to play guitar and Rusty. And he, um, you know, Scott was like this guy that just always knew good music and. We all kind of looked up to Scott. In fact, Scott had played it in one version of the Asexuals because before we were called the Asexuals when I was a kid, we were called uh, we were called first Dead Dog and then the VD Teens um, and then uh, Johnny Jew and the Holocaust. He was a Jewish <laughs> guy. My parents loved that name. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then from Johnny Jew and the Holocaust to the Asexuals. But in, in somewhere in there, Scott did play guitar for one summer with Asexuals. And then, um, but anyway, he was, he, I remember they were listening to the Sex Pistols, and that's kind of how we first heard them. And we started to hear a little bit about the Sex Pistols and Iggy Pop and the Ramones and Cream Magazine. And then, you know, we went to Rock Scene and Hit Parader, and then it all just kind of flooded in. And I ended up, you know, getting rid of all of my rock records, and, and next thing I knew, I was this punk kid, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how it all started, you know. I remember I used to sit under the picnic, the, the ping pong table, at with with the sixty tours when they were they would play music, and I would sit under the table, unplugging and plugging in the lights to give them a light show. I was like a lighting guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Was yeah, it was yeah, it yeah. is it the danger of punk rock that attracted you? Is it was it the non-conventional sort of uh, writing? Yeah. Uh, what, think, what what is it? I think it was just like it gave us something of our own. You know, like in high school with the asexuals, there there wasn't there there was no punk guys in my high school with Beaconsfield High School, except for the guys in my band. You know and and Richard and Monk and Al Ghulam and, and then the band. So we were like, you know, eight guys and we were the punk guys in amongst, you know, a lot of jocks. Yeah. Um, but it gave us something of our own. Yeah. You know, and, and we just loved the music. It was aggressive. I mean, I remember when I first heard the Sex Pistols, Nevermind the Bullocks, I remember thinking, God, these guys play so fast. It's so fast. And now you go back and listen to that record, and it, it's like it sounds like classic rock speed almost. Yeah. It's definitely not fast, you know. 
Everything um, kind of like but, kind of builds upon itself, I guess, right? Like, you know, oh, they're playing fast. Oh, we got to play faster. We got to play crazier. Is that kind of what happens or? Yeah. Yeah. And then bands started playing faster. You know, there's bands like JFA and, and DRI. And that's kind of when I remember like the real fast stuff. I mean, we went from like British punk rock to kind of British hardcore, you know, all of a sudden, we're listening to GBH and the UK Subs and uh, Anti Pasty and Cronjen and all those bands, um, you know. And then and then I guess when it was when we heard California punk rock is when it, you know when I heard the Circle Jerks, that's mm-hmm. when things started to really speed up. Yeah. You know? Did you ha- did you get it in yeah. your head when you were listening to the Circle Jerks and listening to California punk rock that someday I want to move to California? Because um, you yeah, have, right? You live, just, you live, you live. California seems yeah. You live it, here it in Los so Angeles, far away. Yeah, you know, don't yeah. you think? I mean, sure. For me, where me and you grew up, like California was just something we saw on TV that looked beautiful. I mean, I you know, being an East Coaster in Montreal, or uh, you know, I used to go to Florida with my parents because my grandparents had a place in Florida. Yeah, of course we they did. They were, uh, of course they did. You're a Quebecois, uh, right? So yeah, yeah. You know, and it was just like. <laughs> I could just sit outside and just stare at the palm trees in the sky. It was just so incredible to yeah. me, you know? Just we in Quebec um, OC. And then, OC, yeah. Wait, just we in, and then, you know, the first time I came to California was on tour with the asexuals. Yeah. That was the very first time we came out here. It was, we came out here because we had met this band called Youth Brigade, um, the Stern Brothers. We played with them in Montreal, and then they came back, and we played Montreal, Toronto. And by then, I was just kind of a little kid that would, you know, I, I had a phone in my room and I would gather up all these numbers from the scene reports in the back of Maximum Rock and Roll. And I just started booking tours myself. Mm-hmm. And they went from, you know, five shows to three weeks to a month. And next thing you know, we were doing, you know, we'd come to the States for three months. Yeah. You know, and just trade telephone cards and, you know, play VFW halls and hook up with other bands. And it was a much different time. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to be a young punk kid like that now trying to do it. You know, I mean, gas is so expensive. Things seem more dangerous, although I don't think they were. Um, they are. I mean, New York back in the early 80s, it was a pretty fucking dangerous place. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I was a carefree kid, so I didn't really notice. But uh-huh. I think back about it now and I'm like, Jesus. Yeah, that, that, that you know, CBGB's down in the Bowery, that was, you know, the early 80s. That wasn't a good place to hang out, you know? Yeah, yeah. Do they still have, is there still punk rock? Is there? Yeah. I mean, it's been splintered, you know? I mean, I think punk rock now has become more, uh, more of an attitude because it's just, you know, it's it's splintered into so many different kinds of music, but I think there is still punk rock. You know, there is some people really keeping it alive. Like, like my friends in Youth Brigade of Stern Brothers, they do punk rock bowling in Vegas and that's punk rock. Yeah, you know it's it, it's for a guy. It's amazing for a guy like me because it has a lot of new bands which I want to see that I don't might not get out to see, and it has all the old bands that I loved when I was a kid, you know. And some of them, like you know, maybe I never got a chance to see them, and I get to see them now, forty years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fucking crazy, really. But you know, guys like that, they're keeping they're keeping it alive. I think you know. There's another one in Blackpool in the UK, a big punk fest, and there is still punk rock, you know, but there's different kinds. There's kind of the poppy kitty punk rock. There's, 
the crusty punk rock, you know, there's all different kinds. It's not like, I kind of felt like punk rock back then, it was all, you know, new wave was like, everybody looked at us and we were just one thing, punk rock, even if you're a new wave or whatever. Now it's just, it's a million different things. There was something about going to the record store and going to the mm-hmm. punk rock section and mm-hmm. flipping through the punk rock. I would also go to the rap section. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But, uh, and, and, you know, we didn't have the Internet, right? So there was Internet, but there wasn't mm-hmm. really music on the Internet or video on the Internet. So and yeah, there was er- no Internet when we were kids. Early yeah. days of, you know, BBSs yeah. and stuff. But, you know, that was that was the Internet. Punk rock was the Internet. Yeah. That was the the, mm-hmm. the dark recesses of the internet where you go read or see or watch things that you're not supposed to see before the internet that was punk rock that was rap music that was alternative music that didn't exist that wasn't playing on the radio on the top 10 at 10 and you'd hear people saying things in the lyrics that you'd never heard anywhere you know huey lewis doesn't say that you know Um, oh yeah you know Uh, i remember like on that the uh the metallic ko the iggy pop record where he says one two fuck you bitch when he opens that song right and i remember we used to sit in the basement and just play that over and over like, right check this out <laughs> right you couldn't believe you were hearing a swear war a word committed to yeah. tape right it's like eddie murphy yeah. eddie and, murphy and, delirious yeah. you know you're playing that that tape yeah. over and over again it's almost like the internet yeah. ruined everything well it did kind of a little bit i mean that's why you know we had there was a, a a magazine called Maximum Rock and Roll. And that was kind of our Bible in the early 80s. I mean, because they had these things called the Scene Report. And it was different punk rock scenes. And they would, you know, they would have like, you know, 10 different scene reports in every issue. And that's how I booked tours, because they would print the little kid, you know, the the 18-year-old kid that was doing punk shows in the VFW hall or in the park or whatever. You know, that's how it all kind of started for us. You know, and that kind of was the Internet for us. It was reading those kind of magazines. Maybe we should get rid of the Internet. Is there a way we can write yeah. a letter to somebody and, and suggest that we get rid of the Internet? That, that's, that's an idea. Yeah. Maybe we sink it somewhere. Maybe we, we get Trump to hold on to it and throw it in the ocean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't know if we got rid of the internet, I don't know how people would be listening to this podcast. But I know maybe we'd be yeah, on some, maybe we'd be on some yeah. UHF radio station, some some UHF uh, yeah. pir- pirate pump up the volume signal or something. Yeah, or it would be like you know what was big then was college radio, right? Yeah, exactly. And they would so mm-hmm. like a college radio would would say would you know, dedicate half an hour to their show, to the Tom Green show, you know, so they would, and they would get sent through the mail. They would get a, a, a cassette of the Tom Green show that they would spin once a month on their radio. You know, college radio was big back then. Oh, and yeah. It was like, you know, you could really, I mean, that's, we survived. I mean, that's, that was, that's, that was how we heard music was college radio, you know, and it wasn't till Nirvana came along and, and, you know, my band for part of it that kind of killed college radio because that was the point where college radio and fm radio was starting to play the same thing right you know and then all of a sudden college radio didn't really matter anymore because fm radio was playing those same bands and that's kind of where college radio kind of fell apart you know 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I worked at uh, CHUO 89.1 FM in Ottawa f- mm-hmm. from high school for many years. I was did my sort of was the early catalyst of the of, of the TV show was me doing a midnight till 2 a.m. show on Friday nights. And and uh, that's that's where I heard you guys. And that's where I listened to all the yeah. all the music. I'd go dig through all the records there and all the alternative and uh, hip hop groups would send all their the record company would send all the music to the college radio station and we'd hear everything, you know, we'd yep. hear everything that nobody yep. else and heard. Yeah. And then, and then when I'd go through and tour in those places, we would always stop at those college radio stations and do interviews, all of them, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it was really what got my bands going was college radio. And it, you know, it was in Canada, but then it was really popular in the States. You know, it was like bands like REM kind of got their career, you know, and it really helped us a lot. And we would do all the college radio stations all the time. And it wasn't until, you know, the the beginning of the 90s where all of a sudden everybody was playing the same thing and college radio just kind of went away. It's never, I mean, you know, a lot of the college radio stations, they were so good that they got FM licenses and became big stations. Um, and I'm sure that there probably is a few, you know, around North America, which are still, you know, broadcast, you know, 10 miles around the college or whatever, but it ain't what it is, what it, what it was. That's for sure. When you, uh, when you came to LA, you've, you've, uh, sort of transitioned into managing and, uh, running a mm-hmm. record company and, uh, distribution mm-hmm. company and, uh, doing soundtracks yeah. and all sorts of things. And you've worked, yeah. Working with uh, some amazing bands, you work with you work with Iggy Pop, right? And Men Without Hats and uh, all sorts of uh, yeah. incredible artists. I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with Iggy, I just I've I, I programmed some festivals over the last fifteen years. I've been programming some you know fairly large festivals, and I've been lucky enough uh, to book Iggy, and um, so I've got to know him. You know, and I did a movie with him. Uh, about 10 years ago called Suck. It was a really great vampire movie Okay. Um, that we <laughs> shot in Toronto, and I uh, I did all the music for it. And it was a great movie, and it had, you know, I mean, Malcolm McDowell and my wife, Jessica Paré, who are my girlfriend, I guess we're not married. Yeah. Sorry, Jess. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, and then a lot of punks like Henry Rollins and... Iggy Pop and Alex Lyson from Rush and Moby and it was full of musicians and it's actually it's a super fun movie to, it's a, it's kind of become a bit of a cult classic yeah. underground cult classic you can see it on you can you can rent it on any of the the DSP services whether it be Apple or whatever it's an easy movie to see but it's called Suck definitely You're- worth checking out. Your wife, your wife, your partner uh, is an incredible. Yeah. Jessica Pare is an incredible actress. She's uh, you know known yep. from Mad Men, of course, and uh, mm-hmm. all sorts of amazing mm-hmm. films and television. And uh, how did you two mm-hmm. meet? We met doing that movie Suck. Mm-hmm. She was the lead actress in it, and I was the guy. Uh, I I did all the music. I, I, mean, I wrote the music for the bands, and I scored it. Um, and Sorry, actually, you, did you, you didn't just say that, did you? I just, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that you you met on you met on set though, right? Did you not met before? Because you're both you're both from she's from Montreal too, right? Yeah, we're both from Quebec, and yeah, yeah. she was living here, I was living here, and I got a call from the director to help her uh, to teach her how to play bass because mm-hmm. um, she was she's plays as a bass girl bass player in the movie, and that's kind of how we met. 
was uh, was that through that movie. That's so cool. So that's so yeah. cool. And, and, a long and, time ago now. Yeah. You uh, you 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 guys loving it here in Los Angeles? You're you you run you you tell me a little bit about about uh, Cobra Side and what you're doing now with Men Without Hats and all the bands you're working with. Well, yeah, I do. Uh, I I'm one of the owners in Cobra Side, which is a one-stop record distributor. So I put vinyl and CDs and everything in all the record stores throughout North America. Um, and then, yeah, I manage a bunch of great bands, you know, from the Lemonheads and I work with the replacements and Tommy Stinson and uh, just a long list of great bands, Yeah, new bands like soft kill and, uh, the death sets and what a great roster of bands. And it's, I love it. You know, um, I don't have to be on tour anymore. You know, I did spend a good 25 years making records and touring and had a great run. Um, but, you know, now I have kids and I manage all these bands and take care of them. And I, I, I really like it. You know, I, I like Los Angeles. I, I just, the dark gray weather of Eastern Canada is, is just not for me. I, <laughs> I don't like it. It's, it mentally fucks me up. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So um, I just, uh, I don't like it. So, you don't miss I mean, a nice I, I like it here. crisp autumn day, you know, with the leaves changing in, in, in Quebec. Yeah. I do, but, you know, I can drive up to Idlewild and still see that here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, look, I love Eastern Canada. I love Quebec. I think Montreal is one of the greatest cities in the world, and I've been lucky enough to travel all over the world. Um, and I love Montreal. It stands right up there with every every great city in the world, you know. Um, but, you know, I, 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 it had run its course for me. I left... Uh, 22 years ago now I've been in Los Angeles, you know, and, um, I, I love it here. I, it's beautiful and I got a great life and yeah, I'm quite happy here. Can I ask you about your hair, John? Yeah. About your, about your, your, your fabulous dreadlocks, right? This, this was, this was, yeah. uh, you know, you, you're known for your dreadlocks. Uh, mm-hmm. this is, this yeah. is a real commitment, though. I don't. I've never asked you about this personally, yeah. but I figure since we're on the radio, I'll ask you about it. It's not the radio, yeah. but whatever the hell this is. Um, you know, like, yeah. uh, like, what was it that inspired you to get to to do dreads? Uh, was it a was it Bob Marley? Was well, it was it a, no, another punk I've band? This, uh, I've had this. Uh, I've had this bad lid for a long time, and mostly what it was is because I was. You know, I was a punk rock guy with curly hair, and uh-huh. I couldn't have spiky hair. When I when I tried to kind of stick my hair up, it looked like I had a Rubik's cube on top. Oh, of my head. I see, I see. Um, um, so eventually, I I, I just uh, it was my friend William New in Toronto. I think he was the one that he's like he had dreadlocks. He was the only other guy in Canada, the white guy that had dreadlocks. So. He kind of like tied my hair in and it kind of, it stuck. I mean, I've had dreadlocks since 1987. Yeah. It's a long fucking time, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it basically that's where it stemmed from is I couldn't have cool punk hair cause my hair was curly. And so I went with the dreadlocks and, you know, back in the eighties, there was not a lot of white dudes with dreadlocks. Yeah. Shout out, and shout out thank, to Adam Ludica. There wasn't. Shout out to Adam Ludica yeah. from Punch Buggy though. He, he had dreadlocks too. My, my yeah. good friend. And he's a huge, huge yeah. I mean, he, people, people used to say that, uh, that I looked like Perry Farrell. 
because yeah. he was kind of the only other white dude in the kind of rock scene back in the eighties that had dreadlocks. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, but, uh, but then you, you committed to it though, because here we are how many years later and you're still rocking the dreads. I know. I know I'm long, like 35 years maybe or something. That was a long time, you know, at this point, I, I don't even know what my hair looks like. It's been so long and, you know, my kids would be upset if I cut it. Yeah. They, they like me having dreadlocks and, yeah. You know, I say to them sometimes, um, you know, when I pick you up at school, does it make you want to get me to park around the corner because your dad looks a bit like a fucking freak? <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, no, no, we like we like it. Yeah, they yeah. Rather the, they had a dad that looked like a freak. You're the cool you know? dad. Plus, we're in L.A., you know, people can handle it, you know. It's not like, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I have to say, I mean, there was a while there where, you know, all of a sudden white guys with dreads really became a thing. And, and people kind of blamed me there for a while because <laughs> there's still a stigma about it. It's like people roll their eyes. They're like, oh, shit, a fucking white dude with dreads. That's what the world needs. <laughs> Another one of them. <laughs> and it was a thing where, where there was a lot of them. And I, I'd caught in a lot of socks for it. But, you know, I got through it. It kind of seemed like it went away. Now the only other white dudes with dreads you see mostly are kind of dirty hippies. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> under an overpass somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> not to not to make light of something that's horrible that's going on right now, but in this city, yeah, this city yeah, is it, there is there is a some some tragedy in this city right now. Not to bring the mood down right Look, at I the end the of the city is the city is always has a there's always been a bit of tragedy. I mean, what you know, the fact that they closed down the Hollywood sign from people going up close to the Hollywood sign because too many people were committing suicide off of the Hollywood sign. Wow. That's why they had closed the road down. I mean, that kind of speaks volumes about this city and the tragedy of it. You yeah. know, I mean, it, it's, a, it's an amazing place where a lot of very creative people come, but you know, there's a large amount of them where it doesn't end up well and it doesn't, it just is not a pleasant Scene, you know, and so there is a lot of dark shit here. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I used to say that, you know, the thing about Los Angeles is that there's so much of everything that sometimes it could hard to be excited about anything, you know? Yeah. Um, but I love that about it. Yeah. You know? Well, it's been it's it's been great, you know, getting to become super close friends with you over the last several years, John. I appreciate it, you know, appreciate your friendship yeah, so too. much. I mean, we've we've had some good yeah. times and uh we'll have many more yeah. and uh I appreciate you being yeah. there for me as a friend when I'm out here on the road in my van, you know, looking around going what the of hell's course. going on. And, yeah. Of course, and you know, we'll take some more trips like uh like that trip when me and you went to St. Martin. That, that was, was something else that was a good time that was a good time me you and bluesy and st martin fun time <laughs> yeah uh and when we went to anguilla with the guy what was that guy your friend oh yeah my, my friend ivan berry i'm barry ivan yeah. berry yeah. Yeah, dream warriors yeah absolutely yeah. when are Seems we getting like back lifetime, eh? when are we getting back to st martin oh my gosh hopefully right hopefully now. hopefully I this mean, year hopefully this year you know the world used to seem small compared to now you know now that we can't travel we can't do anything it just seems so much bigger and unattainable to me you know what i mean yeah like when you take all that away it's just like i look at china and it seems so far away you know and i've been there before as you have you know going on tour there and 
it didn't seem like that big a deal. You know, I used to do my, my every year I go to a festival in Korea, to MUCON for six years in a row, I, every September. Now I think about that and it, it, although it was nothing for me to get on a plane and wake up in Korea, now it just seems fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I will say that, you know, you know I'm out here in my van right now and essentially mm-hmm. I'm camping. And I, w- I will say that you yeah. were actually, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in many ways an inspiration for, for this because you, you do quite a bit of camping yourself with your family, right? Mm-hmm. And you, would, you, were yeah, going, I mean, you were going up to the Inyo National Forest and camping yeah. and doing all these things. And yeah. I was thinking, geez, that sounds pretty fun. I, I, I know how to camp. I know how to make a campfire. Yeah. I know how to fish. I know how to get out in the woods. And, and this might be a good way yeah, for me to get out. Like and, this summer, you know, yeah. I would talk to you about it because I was camping with the family and you were very into the idea, but we couldn't do it together because of this COVID crap. Yeah. And, you know, and quite honestly, that's, I mean, I've all, you know, growing up in Eastern Canada, I grew up camping and, you know, running through the woods and I haven't done a lot of that since I've lived in Los Angeles. And, uh, so, you know, this summer, since we couldn't go anywhere, we couldn't go back to Canada like we normally would or couldn't do anything we normally would. We basically started going camping a lot. And, uh, I would talk to you all the time because, you know, we're very close friends and tell you about my camping trips and you'd be like, Oh, that sounds like fun. And then you went up it. You got a camper, and now you're a man out on the road, living in your camper van, seeing the world. Got my dog Check Charlie, named after yeah. Travels with Charlie from Steinbeck. Yeah, which I had not yeah. read that book. Actually, I told my dad I was like, hey, I'm going to get a van, and I'm getting a dog. And he said, Oh, like Travels with Charlie. I said, What? 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 Yeah, the Steinbeck, Steinbeck, and. So I've named the van Rossinante, which is what uh, yeah. Steinbeck named his van. It was Steinbeck painted as uh, Rossinante, uh, which is mm-hmm. Don Quixote's horse. Okay, we're getting really down mm-hmm. into the weeds here, but he painted that on his van in Spanish script. So I have it painted on my van in Spanish script. It's actually a decal, but it's still on there, and it looks like it's painted. And Charlie is. Uh, same spelling, and we're traveling around, and yeah. my new dog is great, and we're having a great time. And I was at Ship Rock yesterday, you know, it's this, this incredible yeah. rock formation. So, you know, I get online, and I go, you know, and, and, and you know, sometimes I'll be talking. I was actually talking to you when I pulled up to Ship Rock. Remember, I was saying, I'm going to you this place. Talking, yeah. I was talking to you, like, I was on uh, FaceTime with you yeah. as you were driving up to Ship Rock. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. Like we could see it in the horizon, and then uh, and then you pulled up, and I remember you saying, "I can't believe there's nobody here. Yeah. I'm all by myself with this giant." I remember that big wall. You kept showing me this big wall. Yeah, a giant lava wall. You can go look at what we're talking yeah. about on my YouTube channel and YouTube.com/slash Tom Green. You're on Instagram, and mm-hmm. you're on all of these things. Mm-hmm. What, what what is it, John Kastner mm-hmm. on Instagram or? Yeah, 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 John Kastner. John Kastner is a picture of me playing rock guitar with some ripped jeans. Yeah, not not hard to find. That's amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm enjoying uh, watching your travels. Your your movies are amazing, and uh, you know, I get to get a little bit more because we talk almost every day. So if we're not talking with you by fire at night, then I'm <laughs> sitting on the phone as you're driving up to Shiprock. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing place. Very. Shiprock is a very uh, legendary 
place in in Native American legend. You know, the, there's mm-hmm. a legend about. It, first of all, it's very very familiar when you look at it. Um, it actually turns out it, it was. Remember, we were talking about. Is it an airwolf? It was the base in airwolf. I found out since. Yeah. The, where the helicopter yeah. landed. It's also in Avengers. It's in in Transformers. It's in the Lone Ranger. Mm-hmm. It's in so many films, and it's very iconic. But uh, it's a religious, uh, got a religious uh, sacred significance to the Navajo people. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah. you know, they have all sorts of legends of uh, there was a giant uh, bird, like a, I don't know if it was a pterodactyl or some sort of a thunderbird that lived on top of this thing. And it would swoop down. And this was passed down through oral history, through generations uh-huh. of Native Americans who had passed down. These stories, so there was this giant bird that would swoop down and, and, and eat human flesh until uh, uh, some twins actually snuck up and killed it, you know, and that was the end of it. But wow. I almost wonder if wow. it's true, you know, maybe there was really a giant bird that was eating humans out there. It really feels possible yeah. when you're standing there. It really looks like there could have been. It looks like the kind of place a right. giant human flesh eating bird would live when you look at that place. <laughs> <laughs> John, did, uh, didn't you get chased away by the cops there for a second when you pulled up or did you not have any problems was it, uh was it no fine, not, or did no i was fine there no i've got no? i've had no problems yeah. i was you know i i was uh i was pulling up and and then i thought oh let me learn a little bit more about this place and i looked it up on Wiki- mm-hmm. wikipedia and it said oh this is sacred uh you can't you can't drive up to it and i sort of realized oh okay i'll just stay here by the highway so so and i, I mm-hmm. like to respect uh the rules, and, and especially up on the Navajo Nation, it's a beautiful country. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you can't fly your drone there as well. Uh, so out of respect to mm-hmm. the rules, I did not. So, I, I, you know, that people are, why aren't you flying your drone up to land on the top of Shiprock? Well, because I'm uh, following the rules, because I'm yeah. a rule-abiding yeah. abiding Canadian citizen. citizen. Yeah. John? you got to respect, uh, you gotta respect the, uh, the natives, too. You know? Absolutely. Credit. There's an en- there's an energy up there. It's it's very beautiful and and I, I love it. And uh, yeah, yeah. I'll be I'll be head- heading uh, throughout the state soon. And I think I'm going to start driving south though, man, because the the water yeah. the water in Charlie's dog bowl this morning was frozen solid. Okay, when I woke mm. up. So that's a sign to drive south. Time though. to time to drive south. Maybe head down to Texas or something yeah. or or southern Arizona Good idea. or something. John, we're going to play Good another idea. song. You've sent me some songs to play. What what song are we going to play? Uh, and I want to thank right. you. Thank you for calling in, John Kastner. Everybody, uh, uh, buy some vinyl from Cobra Side. Is a website for Co- Cobra yeah. Side? Yeah, there is. Yeah, what's um, what? It's is it CobraSide dot com. Yeah, well, we're not really open to the public because we sell to the stores. Oh, I see. But we uh, sometimes we do do these. Saturday afternoon barbecues where we open to the public, but obviously we had not been doing that during these COVID times. Um, but, you know, I think more than anything is just to support your local record store because they need it now more than ever. And, you know, and so do the musicians because, you know, we've been taken for a ride with all the streaming crap that they keep telling us is necessary and they're promoting us, but, you know, buy the actual vinyl because it really helps everybody. Yeah. It's a much nicer form of listening to music anyway. Absolutely. And so. you can also go watch John uh, on YouTube. Your videos are on there. The Doughboys, the, oh, yeah. the Asexuals, yeah. All Systems Go, all up there on YouTube. Go yeah. watch that. John, thank you so much yeah. for calling into my podcast. I appreciate it. Of course, Tom. 
and uh, let's talk later. <laughs> thank you, John Kastner, and thank you to all of you for listening. Let's listen to another song by John Kastner. This is a song that he did with Blue Rodeo, specifically Jim Cuddy from Blue Rodeo. The song is called It's All Too Familiar. Too Familiar.